A lot of people come to me and say, you know, Fred, you want us to read the Bible, but I just can't understand the Bible. I can't wrap my mind around it. It's so big. I don't like reading long books. And there's so many books within the one book, it's just confusing to me. Well, that is exactly why this year we are wrapping our mind around the Bible one book at a time. And this summer, we are looking at the letters of the New Testament. Now, the Bible calls them books, but they're not long like books. They're short. They're letters written to particular people. We looked at the first letter to the Christians in the city of Rome, Italy. The next two letters written to the Christians in the city of Corinth, Greece. Then we looked at the letter written to the people in the area of Galatia. Then the letter written to the believers in Ephesus. And this morning we come to the letter written to the believers in Philippi. It's a city in modern day. Well, it's actually just north of, of uh, kind of between Greece and Turkey, right in there of the city of Philippi. It's a letter. So don't look at it as a, a book or a thesis or something that would be like a novel or something else. This is a letter. And this is a particularly short letter. It only has four pages. They're called chapters, but a chapter usually has 12 or more pages. These are pages. And they only have a 104 sentences in the entire letter. So this is a very short book. And of all the letters that Paul wrote, this is the one that comes across the friendliest, the one with the most warmth and affection. Chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. Verse 4, all my prayers for you, I pray for you with joy. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. See, these guys were partners together, almost like colleagues working together. Verse 7, I have you in my heart. Verse 8, I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And then by the time he gets to chapter 4, he calls them his joy and his crown. These are words of warmth and affection. But the overriding characteristic of this letter to the church in Philippi is joy and rejoicing. Those two words, joy and rejoicing, are used at least 16 times in these 104 sentences. 16 times he refers to joy and rejoicing. For example, Philippians 4.4 Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say... Rejoice! So let me give you a quick quiz this morning. When are we supposed to rejoice? You're kidding. Okay, now listen to this verse. Chapter 2, verse 14 says, Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Now, 
When are we allowed to grumble and complain? Oh. So we've got an always and we've got a never. Always rejoice, never complain. Let's say that together. Always rejoice, never complain. Or like we like to say in our family, never, never. It's so hilarious. I've got a YouTube video of our little guy. He was three years old. And I had on my Santa hat and he had his Santa hat on. And he's sitting on our, right in front of our little fireplace in our living room. And I go, never. And he goes, never. And I said, never. Never. I thought it was very funny. But now when you get an always and a never, let's start with the, the negative. Never grumble or complain. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. What do you think that means? I have a hunch it means we're never supposed to grumble and complain. I don't think you need to learn the Greek innuendos of that verse. I think that's as straight an arrow as they come. You know, you can't explain your way around it. That is pretty straightforward. Everything we do, we're to do it without grumbling or complaining. That's the negative. Some of us look at life from the negative. So there, that for you negative folk, there you are. For the, the more positive, like to view life from the more positive side, always rejoice in the Lord. And isn't it amazing? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Just another emphasis. Now, from this point on, I want you to write in your notes. We provide the notes. But from here on, we're flying on auto, we're getting off of autopilot and we're flying manually. Okay? The rest of this message is not in the notes. So you gotta take some of your own. Now don't throw the notes out. They're, they're not irrelevant. The notes are the background of Philippians. You can save that. It's all good. But now you're going to get the message message of the Lord for us today. Okay. Now, the joy of the Lord and rejoicing in the Lord does two things that we all need. There's a reason why God says rejoice in the Lord always and do all things without grumbling and complaining. There's a reason. I made a list of seven reasons why we ought to rejoice in the Lord. I whittled them all down to two. It's time we get simple around here. We make things way too complex. Two reasons. Number one, it takes the focus off of ourselves and our circumstances. The number one reason to rejoice in the Lord is to take your focus off of yourself and your circumstances and put the focus, this is the second reason, and put the focus on God. 
So rejoicing the Lord accomplishes two things that we all need to have happen in our lives. Number one, it takes the focus off of ourselves. We've got way too much focus on ourselves. And number two, we put the focus on God. It doesn't take much to convince us that one of the activities that puts focus on ourselves quicker than anything else is grumbling and complaining. So this whole thrust is saying, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Philippians 2.14, because I want you to take the focus off of yourself. Then he comes, Philippians 4.4, and says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Why? Because I want you to put the focus on God. No matter what is on your plate this morning, God wants you to say grace over your meal. God wants you to praise Him regardless of the circumstances you're facing. Now, when you enter into the joy of the Lord and when you rejoice in the Lord, listen to this, you open the door to all kinds of things that God has for you And you close the door to all kinds of things God wants to keep you from. Did you follow that? You might want to write that down. When you rejoice in the Lord, you open the door to all kinds of things God has for you. And you close the door to all kinds of things God wants to keep you from. God is sovereign, yes. But He calls us into His good pleasure to experience all the blessings of God. But the doorway of obedience is often the obedience of praise and rejoicing. And if we fail to praise and rejoice, if we rather put the focus on ourselves through our grumbling and complaining, we will forfeit often what the best of what God has for us. I want to lay out for us three things that praise and rejoicing in the Lord will close the door to that God wants to keep us from And then look at three things that praising and rejoicing will open the door to that God wants us to enter into. And they're all from the book of Philippians. First, oh, I love this. I'm getting excited. First, oh, I gotta, I've gotta just, I gotta let it out. Okay. Did you ever realize how many incredible promises of God are in the book of Philippians? And how often we quote them? Why is that? It's because it's a book of joy and rejoicing. Now listen to me. Do you know where the book of Philippians was written from? Jail. You can call it joy from jail. Or you could call it friendship from Philippi. Whatever you want. Whichever one you like. Whatever lights your candle. Joy from jail. Friendship from Philippi. It's all good. But think about this. Philippians 1.6. 
For I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Or Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or go to chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was equal with God, did not consider his equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took upon the form of a man. And when he took upon himself that form of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Or, you come to chapter 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ. And the power of His resurrection. The fellowship of His sufferings being conformed unto His death. So that somehow I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Or go to verse 14. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Or you come to chapter 4, as we've already said, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Or verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer. There it is. Everything by prayer. you got to love it. Everything by prayer. But in everything by prayer and petitions with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Or go to verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or go to verse 19. And my God will supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Well, that's a lot of promises. Those are a lot of favorite verses. The most quoted verses. Why are they all in the book of Philippians? You know why? Because joy and rejoicing opens the door to God's best. If you put your focus on your problems and on your circumstances, you will close the door often to God's best. And there in the armpit of a smelly, stinky, cold and rotten jail, God anointed Paul with supernatural joy and was able out of the joy of his heart to exude joy and minister it and impart it to the church in Philippi. Now, three things that joy and rejoicing close the door to. Number one, discord between friends. If you grumble and complain, you open the door to discord. If you instead close the door on grumbling and complaining, open the door to joy and rejoicing, you will eliminate discord. Listen to chapter 4, verse 2. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with, with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellows, help these women who have contended at my side for the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, imagine this. This was written publicly in front of the church. Can you imagine being Yodia and Syntyche? One was seated over here and one was seated over here. It's like, oh my. 
And on top of that, you know what Yodia means? Yodia means good fragrance. You know what Sintika means? In harmony. So good fragrance was giving off a bad smell. And in harmony was totally in discord. They were totally contradicting their own names, let alone their own calling. Now, you don't work together when your hearts are apart. Somehow they lost the joy of the Lord. They lost their focus. And discord came in. And that's why this is such an offense in this particular letter. And Paul doesn't mind dealing with it outwardly. Second thing that joy and rejoicing closes the door to. Bad theology. How is it that Philippians, while it's the friendliest, warmest, most affectionate of the letters that Paul writes, one of the shortest, contains some of the richest, sweetest, most profound theology ever written about Jesus Christ. It's called Christology. There is more written on the one word in verse 6 that says Christ emptied Himself. The Greek word is kenosis. There are thousand volume books written on that one word. It's like a shot of espresso. It is like potent theology. Whoa! That compressed. How is it that this short book has such potent truth about Christ distilled down? It's because it's a book of praise and rejoicing. And look at chapter 3, verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Now listen. What he's talking about here are watch out for those rabid theological Heresy teaching dogs. They're like rabid dogs. He calls them dogs. Watch out for those rabid dogs that peddle their false theology. Why? Because they took the focus off of Christ. They put it onto their own self-effort and taught that Jesus is fine, but in addition to Jesus, you have to do a lot in order to earn your way to heaven in addition to Jesus. And Jesus plus anything is heresy. And Paul didn't mind calling them rabid dogs. No, you put the focus off of yourself and what you can do to save yourself onto Jesus Christ and what He has done to save you, and you will close the door to bad theology. And number three, when you praise and rejoice in the Lord, you close the door to discontent. Discontent. Discontent is a cancer. Discontent. When a husband gets discontent with his wife, that's a cancer. When a child gets discontent with his home life, that's a cancer. When we get discontent with, with God's goodness at work in our lives, and we become Jealous of what other people have. That's a cancer. Discontent. Now listen to what Paul says here. In, chap in chapter 4, verse 11. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. 
Don't you love that? How do, you, how do you close the door to discontent and open the door to contentment? You take the focus off of yourself and you put it on Christ. When you have joy and rejoicing, you will close the door to discontent. Can I get an amen? I'm preaching my heart out up here. You're, you're sitting there like... Um, anyway, just kidding, just kidding. There, there we go. Come on, let's get a little animated here. Come on, get out the hankies or something. Okay, you, you, I know you're just waiting for me to get to the positive stuff. You don't want to hear about closing the door to stuff. Well, but, but what do we open the door to? Okay, are you ready? We open the door to three things. When we step into joy and rejoicing, we open the door, number one, to prayer and worship. This magnificent statement of Christ Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and given Him the, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we think about who Christ is, when we put our focus off of ourselves onto Him and look at the full magnitude of who He is, we truly worship God. And we pray. Often our prayers come to a grinding halt because we pray without thanksgiving. Turn in your Bibles there, Philippians 4, verse 6. Circle the words, with thanksgiving. Do not be anxious about anything. But pray about everything. Let your requests be made known to God. Present your prayers and requests with thanksgiving to God. You see, when we present our requests without thanksgiving, all we're doing is bellyaching. And how do you as parents respond when your kids come and bellyache? But when we bring praise, next week we're going to be in the book of Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Let me jump ahead. It says, devote yourselves to prayer. How do you devote yourself to prayer? Listen to this. Being watchful and thankful. In a sense, you've got to pray with your eyes open and your heart filled of joy. Being watchful and thankful. Present your request with thanksgiving. Because when we pray again with a grumbling spirit, we're praying man-centered prayers, but when we pray with a heart of thanksgiving and joy, we're praying God-centered prayers. And we can know how to pray when we pray from His perspective. Second, joy and rejoicing opens the door to faith for finances. When we read chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so often that has been taken like a magic wand out of context so that we can wave that on top of a pumpkin and have it turn into a princess chariot. 
we pray for this and we pray for this and we say, well, I can do all things through Christ. I can step up to the plate and hit a home run. I, I can, I can get the high paying job. I can get the Rolls Royce. I can drive a Jaguar. I can go do whatever. As if this promise means I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Look at it in context. What's it follow? Paul says, I have learned to be content when I have a lot and when I have a little. When I have money, when I don't have money. When I get a job and when I get laid off. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not a magic wand. That's a statement of contentment in the financial situation that I'm in. Because God will provide. No matter what, God will provide. And then it goes on here, and when we get to verse 19, before we get there, let me set the context. The verses preceding verse 19 are all about how the church in Philippi supported Paul. They did something for Paul that few other churches did. They gave to support him and gave beyond their means to give to the money to the poor. And Paul's saying, I want you to do it again. In fact, some people say the reason the whole book of Philippians was written was to... Get ready for the offering. Yeah, that is a good chuckle, but it's true. And then what Paul says, in light of the fact that they are already a giving group of people, they're Christians who know how to take what God has entrusted to them and give it away to serve the Lord. It's to that people who are already tithing and giving offerings that he says, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What that means is if you are not tithing and you are not giving to God, verse 19 is really not for you. It's true. So that's why we can say joy and rejoicing, putting the focus off of our circumstances onto Christ, will close the door to discontent and open the door to faith for finances. And the church in Philippi did not have many means. That's why Paul talks about being without. And he said, you gave out of little you gave. You see, the fact of the matter is, when the economy's riding high, it's easy to give. And it may even be less important to give. But when the economy is challenged, that's when we better make sure we're giving to God because that's when we need to know for sure God's providing for our needs. And we want to be able to take Philippians 4.19 in this time of financial challenge. We focus on our needs. Our faith shuts down, but we put the focus in joy and rejoicing back in the Lord. And God will provide for us. And the third thing that joy and rejoicing does is it gives us thrust for mission. Thrust for mission. In fact, chapter 1 is all about their partnership in the Gospel. Chapter 2 is all about their fellowship in the gospel. Three is, chapter 3 is all about their citizenship in the kingdom. And chapter 4 is all about their friendship. But at the end of chapter 4, look at verse 22. 
The second to the last verse says, All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. I love this. If you don't mind marking your Bible, circle Caesar's household and put a smiley face. Caesar thought he was really smart. He said, we're going to put, we're going to put Paul under wraps. We're going to take our, our best, our best trained soldiers, and we're going to rotate them in, and for 12 hours at a time, we're going to handcuff them to Paul to make sure Paul doesn't mess with anybody's minds so that Paul doesn't escape. And so 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, they would rotate the best soldiers in Caesar's household and handcuff them to Paul one guy at a time. Well, Paul's bubbling over with the joy of the Lord. He's rejoicing in the Lord always. So that joy is slobbering over on these guys. They're saying, what makes you so happy? Oh, I'm glad you asked. How do you think there got to be saints in Caesar's household? These are the guys that Paul, strapped to him one at a time, has led to faith in Jesus Christ. I love that. Does anybody else love that? I love that. The saints in Caesar's household greet you. There's only one. If Paul was sitting there belly aching, oh man, I don't know what happened. I must have blown it. God must have left me. Do you think anybody would have come to faith in Christ? But he's in there. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. Never. 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 The other Christians in there, if he'd hear them complain, never. There's a better idea. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Always rejoice. That's contagious. Friedrich Nietzsche, one of the great opponents to Christianity, said, if you expect me to believe in your Redeemer, then you need to look a whole lot more redeemed. I want to look more redeemed. Okay, I've got, I've got the cherry on top. You ready for this? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9. It's quoting from Psalm 45, which is a messianic psalm. And it says to the church in, scattered all over the Mediterranean of messianic believers, writing to these who were on the edge of Abandoning their faith in Jesus Christ, he takes this book and begins writing about Jesus. And he said in the times past, God spoke in many and various ways, but in these days he has spoken to us through his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And then he says in verse 9, God has anointed him with the oil of joy above his companions. Now listen to this. When we see Jesus in heaven, we're going to recognize him. Now, you're going to recognize him because of his scars. There aren't going to be any scars except his in heaven. No other scars. 
the scars from that tragedy off Norway, they're all going to be healed. Because of Jesus. But Jesus is still going to have His scars. And we're all going to be dressed in white. Jesus is going to be dressed in scarlet red. But let's just say we're in a crowd and Jesus is in the crowd. And you can only see Him from His neck up. Can't see the scars, can't see His, his jacket. How are we going to recognize Him? He's going to be the most joyful guy in the crowd. He's going to have more joy than anybody else. Just look for the joyful one. Because God, the Father, anointed His Son with the oil of joy above His companions. Isn't that awesome? This year, our year verse is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, which says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Now listen to me. Listen to me. If you're look, if your eyes are on yourself, you're going to be grumbling and complaining. But if you fix your eyes on Jesus, you're looking into the face of the most joyful person in the entire universe. And you cannot stick with your grumbling and complaining. You will receive joy because He's the most joyful face you'll ever look at. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Let's all stand together. Lord Jesus, we fix our eyes on You. You have been anointed with the oil of joy. Your face is the most joyful face in the universe. And Lord, our faces ought to reflect Your joy. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Jesus said, My joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. We're not talking about psychology here. We're not talking about mind games. We're talking about a transaction that is real and authentic. It's an act of our wills that takes our focus off of ourselves and puts it on the Lord. And we remember that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That we can rejoice in the Lord always. Jesus, won't you, as a people today, won't you baptize us in the oil of gladness? That the joy of the Lord won't be an add-on, it won't be artificial, it won't be temporary or superficial, but it will bubble up from our innermost being. It will, in fact, overcome the world. It will, in fact, set us apart so that whether we're in jail or out of jail, with much or without much, with a job or without a job, that we can nevertheless rejoice in the Lord always.